How we doing? Everybody feeling good? How many of you went to or participated in some way or fashion in the student auction? You have a good time? Yeah? No, really, that bad, huh? I can still smell whipped cream. Like, it was in my nose for like a week. It was not pleasant at all. But we really appreciate you guys coming and helping out, and we had a great time. Uh, We are in the third week of a series called Famous Last Words, where we've been talking about the last things that Jesus said while on the cross, his last words. And this topic, this series, can come with some sort of a weight almost, right? It can be like this sadness and this heaviness that's attached to it. I mean, the music really helps, right? And what I want to do today is I want us to think about his last words in, in this moment in a different light. Instead of thinking this as, you know, as a, a sad time and where we really you know, even get depressed and think about that it had to happen, I think this is something that should make us excited, something for us to be joyful about. Maybe you think it's weird that I get excited about a guy dying across a couple thousand years ago, but it is an incredibly big deal, not only in our lives today, but also for eternity. It's because of this act, because of this moment that we get to live a life that we never could because of what he did. So instead of being down and sad about this, I think when we read this on our own, when we talk about it and we learn about it, let's be excited about it because this moment signifies so much for us. So you with me on that? Can we agree? All right, cool. You're just like, I have to say yes. He's the guy up front. I'm supposed to do that. Um, so but today I have a, a lot I want to talk about because I'm really excited about the part we're talking about today, and um, I have more that I want to say than I have time for, so we're just going to jump right in. I'm going to be in the book of Luke, chapter 23. If you don't have a Bible, the ushers have some. If you want to borrow one or you just forgot yours or you don't own one, please accept this as our gift to you. So you can just, they're around if you just want to signal to them and they'll get one to you. I'm going to be in the book of Luke, again, chapter 23, and there it is. And it'll also be up on the screen if you want to follow along there. Luke 23, I'll be starting in verse 44. And it says this. It was now about the sixth hour, and darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour, for the sun stopped shining. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. Now, there's some incredible things happening in this moment, just a lot of really important stuff. Obviously, we have the culmination of Jesus' life, right, of his ministry and of his work. Everything that he came to do, everything he came to be, everything he came to say came to its culmination in this moment when he died on the cross. And, And that's a huge deal. And this is what we celebrate every week in communion, that sacrifice, the body and blood that was broken and shed for us. And it's a big deal to us, not only in our lives today, but also through eternity. And I don't want to underplay the completion of that moment. That's not exactly what we're talking about today. Today, we're talking about those eight words. Those eight words that Jesus said from the cross. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And these eight words have so much to do with our lives. There's so much packed into them. It's it's difficult even to figure out where to start. So I figure we just start at the beginning, right? So what's the first thing he says, right? Father. That's all right. We can, you can talk. It's all right. It's totally allowed. Uh, so he says, Father. Jesus calls God his Father. And this may not seem like a big deal because you call your father your father, your dad all the time. 
But in Jesus' day and age, this was not a term you would use for God. It wasn't a term you would usually associate with him because this term, it's like God's calling out, Jesus is calling out to his daddy. He's calling him his Abba, Father. And it's this intimate relationship. And it kind of lets us in on how close Jesus and God were. And it wouldn't be, that term wouldn't be used to describe God because God was thought to be so far away, so holy, other, so reverent that you couldn't get that close to him. Maybe, maybe you understand that today. Maybe you think God is just out there and that you can't be close to him. You can't know what you're going through. You can't know who you are because he's this holy other. But here's what's beautiful about what Jesus did on the cross. Because of his sacrifice, because of his love for us, we can have that same kind of intimate relationship with God the Father that he had. We can get to know God in a way that we couldn't before. It's because of what he did that we can grow closer to him and that we can connect with him in the way that we couldn't before, that we can be intimate with the holy creator of the universe. That's pretty cool. At least I think it is. And there's some great symbolism in how this happens. In verse 45, it says, the curtain of the temple was torn in two. And in Matthew's account of this, it says it was torn in two from top to bottom. Okay, now maybe you don't think that's a big deal, right? Like curtain being torn in two, what's a big deal? But this has huge implications, not only in Jesus' day and age, but in ours. Implications that allow us to have the kind of relationship that Jesus had with God. That we can be close to him. That we can see him face to face. You know, for some of you, maybe you've been wanting to tear the curtains in your house for quite a while, right? Maybe that's just something you're not a big fan. And you're like, hey, if I get closer to Jesus, let's tear them up, right? So I can get to know him better. But a little different than household curtains. This curtain was also called the veil. Um, was this, it's basically what blocked part of the temple, which was called the Holy of Holies, right? It was in front of the most holy place in the temple. And it was so sacred that only once a year, one high priest could go behind that veil, that curtain, and make sacrifice for the nation of Israel. Once a year, one high priest, and that was it. No one else was allowed to go back there because it was too holy, it was too sacred. And this curtain separated, this curtain symbolized our separation from God. That humanity couldn't get that close. You had to go through a mediator to get to God. And not only was it a big deal symbolically, it was quite literally a big deal. It's said to have been about 60 feet tall, about 30 to 40 feet wide, about four inches thick. And from studying, from what I've learned, it's said to have weighed about four tons and take about 300 priests to move it. Now, that either means the priests are really weak or really strong. I haven't figured that out yet. But it was, it was quite large. It's a monster of a curtain, right? Not your household curtain. And this sort of thing doesn't just fray or tear on its own, especially not from top to bottom. And this is a supernatural God thing that's happened here. And up until then, if you wanted to connect with God, you had to go through this mediator. You had to go through a high priest. You couldn't get that close to him. But now, because of what Christ did on the cross, we no longer have to go through a mediator. That Jesus is now the one who mediates between us and God. Jesus, God's son, the Holy One, is who we connect with. So we can see him face to face. We can get to know him in a way we never could before. And when I think of veils, I can't help but think about weddings, because Cynthia and I are wedding photographers, and so we've seen all kinds of veils, right? You know, you got the one that does this, like the birdcage thing, you know, it goes across the face, goes like that. Then you got like the, the flowing ones that she's down at the altar, and it's still at the back door, right? They just keep going. And we're starting to see more and more that brides are not wearing veils, because just for looks or whatever. But I think there's something incredibly symbolic about the removal of a veil when a bride gets to her groom, 
right? It's, there's something special that happens there. Like, up until this moment, there's so much separating them. Not only their last name, their families, emotionally, spiritually, there's so much separating this couple. But when the veil is removed and they see each other face to face and they look in their eyes, something special happening, something incredible. I had the opportunity yesterday to officiate my first wedding, the first time. So that was pretty exciting. Usually I'm like on the other end of the camera, like sniping in, trying to get as close as I can to the picture. But I was like right here, you know? And to see that interaction right up close, to see them look into each other's eyes, man, there's something, there's so much emotion, something really powerful happens in that moment. It's almost overwhelming. And the church is described as the bride of Christ. We, we are his betrothed. And because of the sacrifice on the cross, because of what Jesus did, we can get to know God in a way we couldn't before. We can connect with him on an intimate level. We can see him face to face and we can do life together. We can grow with him. And the temple curtain being torn isn't just cool because it was a big curtain and God just tore it right down the center. It's incredible because it allows us to connect to God in a new way. It allows us to trust God with our lives. It allows us to say to God personally, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. And it, it takes away that issue of trust. And that's what it's all about. It allows us to trust God in a real way, in a way that we couldn't before. We're saying, God, my life is yours. I give it to you. I don't have to go through anyone else. I go straight to the source. And Jesus, in the greatest, in the midst of the greatest spiritual and physical pain, trusted God with, entirely with his life. And that can be us today. We can have that kind of trust. Now, it wouldn't be much of a stretch to say that our culture has trust issues, right? I mean, it's just kind of understandable. Listen to this. According to the Edelman Trust Barometer, you didn't know there was a trust barometer, did you? I didn't either. Anyway, uh, the Edelman Trust Barometer is an annual survey that gauges attitudes about the state of trust in business, government, non-government organizations, and media across 23 countries. The U.S. has dropped over the past three years from 4th to 10th. Okay, this is across the globe. They've lost trust in all those areas, and they're only country to see trust drop in all four of those areas. Now, whether you trust those numbers or not, it's up to you. Maybe you don't have trust issues, but I know I certainly do. Okay, maybe it's because my first girlfriend I had growing up cheated on me with my best friend. I don't know, <laughs> but I know I have some healthy skepticism running through me, right? Like I'm waiting for people to fail me before I even give them a chance. Are you with me on that? You understand that, that idea of not being able to trust? Now, I'm going to help give you a mental picture of this. Now don't, don't respond, just think it in your head. And when you think of trust, what's the first, don't say it, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Okay, first thing, just think about it. Think about trust, first thing, because I, I already know what it is. All right, you ready? Trust falls, right? Right, everybody know what a trust falls? You stand in the chair and you do the thing, right? I think, oh yeah, there it is. So as you can probably see, I don't really trust those people. All right, I mean, like, if they were to drop me, it probably wouldn't be the end of my life, but it wouldn't be comfortable. Um, but, I mean, I'm at a student youth camp thing. I mean, that is not going to end well for me. I'm a big guy, and they're not very big. Uh, okay, you can get rid of that now. Thank you. Um, see, we have problems trusting things that are out of our control, right? And that's, that's where I was right there. And that's where most of us are, especially when it comes to God. When we can't be in control of our lives, we have issues, so how do we do it? How do we get to the point where we can trust God with everything that we are? How do we get to the point where we can say, God, into your hands I commit my spirit? How can we, preferably sooner than moments before death, say, God, it's yours. I give it all to you. Now, I'm no expert in the subject of trust, but I've had a few 
opportunities, I, I say opportunities now, they weren't opportunities then, I wasn't thrilled about them. But, you know, chances where it was only God that I could trust in. Chances where, you know, there was no way I could get through a situation if it weren't for God. I mean, this is something I struggle with on a daily basis. I remember early in mine and Cynthia's marriage, um, there came this point where we were just, like, broke. Like, broke, broke. Like, ramen noodles too expensive, broke, right? You know, when you get there, you're in trouble, okay? And something that we had always committed to doing very early on was we were always going to tithe. So no matter... Where we were financially, we were just always going to tie. That's something we were always going to do. So it came to this point where we were really down and out and basically literally came down to the decision, okay, we're either going grocery shopping for food or we're going to tithe. That's where the money's going, right? And so it was either condiments in the fridge or money in the plate, right? And immediately Malachi 3.10 popped in our head where it says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. We were like, oh. So we tithed, and we trusted God that we were going to give what we were supposed to and that he was going to take care of us, and, and so we did. And it wasn't easy, trust me. It wasn't an easy decision to make, but, you know, we did it. And so the next day we're at the house and uh, we get a phone call and Cynthia answers and I can't hear the conversation going on. She's talking to somebody and all I can see is tears start to well up, right? And I'm like, immediately, husband mode, right? Strong and sturdy, everything's going to be fine. Who died? Okay. As long as it's on her side of the family, everything's going to be good, right? (laughs) So everything's fine. And so I'm waiting for her to, she, I can't hear the conversation, I don't know what's going on, so she hangs up the phone, I'm like waiting for a name, you know, waiting for the, and um, so, she's, so I find out that it was the, the, church, the church secretary for the church that we went at, we were going to, and she had said that the secretary told her when she was coming into the office this morning, into, she walked through the kitchen at our church, and on the counter in the kitchen and in the fridge were about a dozen grocery bags. And they all had AJ and Cynthia Viola's name taped to them. No idea where they came from, no idea who put them there, but she was like, you guys should probably come pick those up. Now, I don't tell you that because I want you to think, well, if I give money to God, then everything's going to be great, right? Because I don't think it works like that. I don't think we can treat God like a vending machine where we put something in and get what we want. I tell you that, because we trusted and God provided. The one thing we needed, right? And it wasn't like we walked into church that morning like, dear Lord, here's our money. If anybody's listening, this could be food, right? In case you want to help. Yeah, I mean, we weren't telling people, you know. The one thing we needed, God provided. You know, maybe you call it circumstance or coincidence. God provided. God stepped up. We trusted and he provided. And that can be your story as well today. You can trust God and he will provide because he's the only one who's truly trustworthy. When we not only say, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, but we actually live it out with our actions, God's going to do incredible things in our lives. But it's not always going to be the way we expect it to be, right? It's not always going to be, man, I need groceries. Groceries! It's not always going to work out like that. There's another story. About three years ago, Cynthia and I were learning about this whole idea of church planting, right? Falling in love with this passion of starting a new church in a city and doing that. And so we're at this church planting event. We met this guy named Donnie Williams. Maybe you've heard of him. Cool guy. Anyway, um, anyway so Donnie asked Cynthia and I to come out to Raleigh to do a leadership residency 
um, at LifePoint, just to train and learn and observe and learn about church planning and leadership and all that. And what Donnie was actually asking us to do, like he didn't word it like this, but this is what we had to process. He was asking us to leave our paid youth ministry position that we were in in our hometown, to leave the town that Cynthia was born and raised in and never left before and where her entire extended family still lives in, to leave the town that we had grown roots in, not only as individuals, but as a couple, leave the town we were married in, to leave the town where our base for our photography business that we had started was in, which was doing quite well, to leave the year and a half of graduate school that we were already in, to take an unpaid internship position. And we were like, okay, right? So we put our house up for sale, and it didn't sell, and it didn't sell, and it still hasn't sold. Um, and so, so we're like, hey, well, let's rent it. And so we put it, on, we put it up for rent. That week, we got a renter. Like, hey, I guess we're renting. So two months later, so we moved in with some friends for about two months, and then we moved to Raleigh two months later. And our plan, our plan, our plan was to live with a family from LifePoint while we're here. Do That would help out with, you know, our housing costs and stuff like that. And so we found a family, and it was great. And, uh, and so we're doing that. And so we were actually at Wakefield for the first year that we were here. And, uh, and so the first, about a month or two in, um, Cynthia's out in the lobby and, you know, meeting people and talking, you know. And meets a family and telling our story and what we're doing. And they tell her, hey, if the house thing doesn't work out, you know, we've got a place where you can stay. You know, I'd love to have you. And she's like, well, thank you. You know, we're planning on staying with this family the whole time we're here, however long it is, a year or two. But we really appreciate it. And two weeks later, found out we had to move. We're like, oh, that's not what we had planned. But that's okay. We just happened to have this other family who asked us. So, we, so it was like, okay. So we moved in with this other family. And it was great, a great place. And then again, you know, a few months later, Cynthia's in the lobby. And she meets a family, tells them our story. And she's like, and they're like, hey, if you need a place, stay. And then she's like, no, we're good. We already moved once. Two weeks later. We had to move. And we're like, we're going to move on. It's all right. So we moved in with this other family. Then a few months later, Cynthia, doing like she does, <laughs> meets people, talking in the lobby, tell them her story. You get the picture, right? It says, hey, if it doesn't work out. That, this, actually, the third family was here first service. It was really funny. They were like, glad we could be a part of the sermon. Um, so, and so two weeks later, guess what? We had to move out again. At this point, I'm like, Cynthia, stop talking to people. You're not allowed to meet anybody else because I'm seeing a correlation here. You talk, we move. No more. Okay? At this point, we were like, dear Lord, we're moving again. And so we were just complaining, and we were honestly questioning whether or not we were supposed to be here, questioning whether God wanted us to be here. And unmistakably, God was just like, hey, have you had to sleep outside? I was like, "Um, no. And he was like, then what are you complaining about? You asked me to provide, and I am my way. And of course, me being you know, the talker that I am, he was like, I was like, but I thought it'd be easy. And God's like, what gave you that idea? Like, is that in like first AJ 316? Because that is nowhere else, right? It's not there, okay? I never promised that. See, every time we had to move, God provided. And when we finally started to rent, we provided roommates so we could actually afford it. Listen, trusting God with our life doesn't mean it's going to be easy. doesn't mean it's going to be smooth sailing. Saying to God, into your hands, I commit my spirit. I give you my life. is isn't about getting life the way we want it. It's about giving over our dreams and our desires and our wants and our life to him and saying, here, you take it, it's yours. You can do better with it than I can. I trust you with it more than I trust myself. And it's incredibly scary and uncertain, but it's the best decision you can make with your life. And when Jesus said, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit, he wasn't giving us some sort of chant, you know, to say to get our genie version of God, Right? 
He was giving us a model for living. Something interesting I found that when Jesus uses that word spirit uh, in the original language, the Greek, the word spirit in that phrase actually it means, not only means life, breath, spirit, but also means a person's condition or their circumstances. And what would it look like for us to trust God in such a way that would lead us to say, God, here are my circumstances. I trust you with my life. Here's my condition. Here's my, my situations. Here's my dreams, my goals, my desires, my life. It's yours. I trust you with it. And it's not easy. It's not easy to do that. But there are some things that you can do to make it easier. And if you're taking notes, I encourage you to write the next three things down. First thing you can do is you get to know them. Right? It makes sense that you can trust people that you know. When you get to know someone better, you can trust them easier. Remember how I joked about my first girlfriend cheated on me? Like, I honestly believe that, looking back, that did something to me, right? Because dating, all growing up, like, I expected that to happen. That was my first instinct, my preconceived notion that I was going to be cheated on, so I couldn't trust this person. And so all growing up, that's where I was. I'm incredibly jealous and overprotective and not trusting. And when Cynthia and I first met, when we first started dating, that was a real issue for us. And as I got to know her and we grew and our relationship grew, I realized that all my preconceived notions about her were wrong and that she was the most trustworthy person that I know and that I trust her with my life. And it's the same way with God. When you get to know him, when you spend time with him, you realize that you can trust him. It makes sense. If you don't know God, why would you trust him? Hey, why would you? Because you don't know him. So spend time getting to know him. The Bible describes him as a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Maybe you don't have a good relationship with your brother or you don't have a brother at all and that analogy doesn't work for you, then just throw it away. But if it does work for you, take it and work with it because he is the only one who's truly trustworthy. He's the only one who's always gonna be there. And don't just take my word for it. We have this incredible resource to learn and to read how God provides for his people over and over and over. So read it, spend time with it. Spend time in a community of people who love God and who trust him, like a life group or a mountain group. Spend time with people who are going to encourage you and challenge you, and you, you can encourage and challenge as well to trust God with their lives. Spend time with people who have been trusting God longer than you and just learn from them, hear their stories. The second thing you do is start small. You know, Cynthia and I have been able to trust God in big ways in our lives because he's, we've seen him come through in many, many small ways. And we're able to just pack up and move our family, which our family is just the two of us, but we're able to just pack up and move at the drop of a hat because we knew God was calling and that his calling could be trusted. It's not really a magic formula, right? Okay, I'm going to trust God with this little thing. Oh, he came through. All right, I'll trust him with something bigger. Oh, he came through there. Maybe there's something to trusting Jesus with my life, right? It makes sense. And I don't know what that looks like for you. Maybe, maybe it's getting involved in a life group for the first time, or maybe it's, I don't know, maybe it's sharing your faith with somebody you know or inviting someone to church, or maybe it's serving on a Sunday morning or serving out in your community. Maybe it's tithing. Whatever it is, when you trust God in the small things, it makes it easier to trust him in the bigger things. And side note, some of us have been trusting God in the small things for way too long. We've seen God come through over and over in little ways. We're not willing to take that risk. God is begging you to give him the opportunity to come through in your life in a big way. He's begging you to say to that mountain that's in your life, that's always been there, that won't get out of the way. He's begging for you to say to that mountain, get out of the way. So he can come through in a big way in your life. So start small, but don't stay there. And the third thing is share your story. And this is twofold because when you're in a, a community of people who you care about and who care about you, you really need to share your story about how you're trusting God and how it, even how it's difficult and where you are in that. Because one, it not only helps you see where God provided for you in your life, but helps encourage others 
who aren't able to trust God like you do and it helps encourage them to maybe start taking some steps to trust God so they can get to that point. I mean, look what happened after Jesus shared. He's on the cross and he says, he could have just thought, you know, Father, into your hands, I'm going to spirit. But in saying it, people heard him. And the centurion, seeing what happened, praised God and said, surely this was a righteous man. The centurion's a Roman soldier who's over about 100 Roman guards and he's used in crucifixions. And I imagine this guy has just gotten numb to the death and the pain and the agony, right? Just gotten numb to it. But this day, when he heard Jesus cry out and share his trust in God, it made him praise God. See, our stories have a way of helping others connect to God. So share your story, even and especially when you're in the middle of that story, right? When you're waiting for God to come through, right? And that's a hard time and you're waiting and you're waiting on God because that's, that's, that's tough. And it's 10 times easier when you have people around you who care for you and who love you, who are gonna help encourage you and make it easier for you. And maybe, maybe you've had God come through in a big way in your life. Maybe you trusted him and he just stepped up and you wanna share that story. We have this opportunity for you to always do that. You can go to lifepointchurch.com story and there's just a little form in there you can fill out and write your story. You can keep it anonymous. You can fill out your name. You can tag it with whatever it's about. You can share as many or as little details as you want. And we, so we build this plethora of stories of how God came through in big ways in people in our community. And it's so encouraging to hear that and read that over and over. I mean, this is where we are right now. Right? This is where Cynthia and I as a couple, this is where we are as a church. We're starting a new site downtown, bringing two of our sites together. We're relaunching over at West. And we're giving it all up to God. And we're doing our part, but we know that none of it will get off the ground if we don't give it to God. And I have no doubt that it will. I have no doubt that every detail will come together in one way or another because we're giving it to him and we trust him with it. So get to know him, spend some time with him, start small and share your story. And I encourage you this week, just, just one thing, just pick one small thing and trust God in that and just see what happens. Don't expect did to come out a certain way, but just trust him in one small way and see what God can do. He's begging you for the opportunity to show up in your life. And I want to end with this. Uh, the phrase that Jesus uses, into your hands I commit my spirit, isn't actually his words. I mean, he's saying it, but he's quoting King David uh, from the Psalms. And there's this, in Psalm 31, David is struggling to trust God. And he's going through a lot. And I want you to hear, just listen. It's not going to be up on the screen. Just listen to what David's going through here. In you, O Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness. Turn your ear to me. Come quickly to my rescue. Be my rock of refuge, a strong fortress to save me. Since you are my rock and my fortress, for the sake of your name, lead and guide me. Free me from the trap that is set for me, for you are my refuge. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Redeem me, O Lord, the God of truth. But I trust in you, O Lord. I say you are my God, my times are in your hands. Deliver me from my enemies and from those who pursue me. Praise be to the Lord, for he showed his wonderful love to me. Love the Lord, all his saints. The Lord preserves the faithful. Be strong and take heart, all you who hope in the Lord. Listen, there's gonna be times in trusting God where you're gonna say, hey God, where are you? I've committed to trusting you, so why aren't you showing up? Can't you see the pain? Can't you see what I'm going through? I'm trusting you with this, so where are you? There's gonna be times like that, and it's gonna be hard. And we can't forget David's words. Be strong and take heart, all you who hope in the Lord. The Lord 
preserves the faithful.